This is the Kaniac Report. I am Sam Wallace. And I am Sam Driscoll. And you know what? What? Mr. Overtime strikes again. Yes, he does. All right, we are back with another episode of the Kaniac Report. We hope you have had a good week. And Sam, it's been a thrilling, thrilling week for the Hurricanes because uh, so far, as we're recording this, because we haven't recorded the Boston game yet, two overtime wins, both in Dallas and here against San Jose. Fun, fun games, haven't they? Stressful. And kind of lucky that, for one, San Jose is just a bad team. Um, I, I think in that game, you just, you're lucky San Jose is bad. <laughs> I really do. Um, do that against Boston, and you'll find out that ain't going to fly. That ain't going to fly. Boston's going to close you out. Um, and they'll close anybody out. And Carolina's the same, right? You know, you, you do that to the Hurricanes, they're going to close you out, too. Um, but I'll take it. Right? I mean, it's good. It's good to see them battle and not give up. And um, that's what you want to see from this group. That, that's what you need to see from this group, especially because it's been nothing but nothing but challenges, right? I mean, you have the scare with your goaltender, Freddie Anderson going down again, coming out of the game. That was concerning, scary. You don't want that. Because he wasn't playing bad, so there was really no reason to pull him other than injury, which is what they said. And you have Slavin out. Slavin's he didn't out, play yeah. against Dallas or the Sharks. So within a span of about three games, you lose Pacioretty, Slavin, and Anderson. Fortunately, it looks like Freddie is fine, which is great. And then you have uh, Slavin. Sounds like he's coming back today against Boston. So that just you just hope. Exactly. So, uh, just a little reminder for you guys, we are not having an episode for next week. Again, we're going to be using next week to prepare for our one-year anniversary episode. I am really looking forward to this, because I've been uh, preparing for it as we speak. Uh, Another uh, piece of news for our podcast, though, is that we have reached 1,000 followers on Twitter. Oh my gosh, a thousand of you are following us on Twitter. That That's just amazing. Thank you guys so much. I, I mean, Sam, a thousand. That's yeah. huge. In, a, um, in about a year, less than a year, right around a year-ish. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, you know, we're thankful, we're grateful, and um, we appreciate all that you guys have done to make this successful. We appreciate the fact that you you appreciate the fact that we give our our honest takes on the team, whether they're popular or not. Um, we're gonna, you know, we're always gonna we're we're, sh- we're straight shooters when it comes to the team, and we appreciate that you guys like that. Yes, we really appreciate it. So let's get on to the Canes news. Uh, the first piece of news: this is more of like sports business area, but Sinclair Broadcasting Group, who owns Bali Sports, which is what we use to watch Hurricane games on if you're not at the games, uh, is likely heading to bankruptcy. Uh, Sam, apparently this could, again, this is a big could because, as it's been reported from Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, that 
if things get really, really bad with uh, the bankruptcy, this could affect the salary cap, and it could they could potentially cut deals with teams that they've already had with. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, it's. I think them going bankrupt is a good thing. I do. I think they're a really crappy organization. Um, but I think this is a good. I think you know it's sad that people are probably going to lose their jobs and so on. But um, I think it's good for the NHL and the teams to to have the rights to their organization to broadcast because the big problem right now with Sinclair is they're literally on no streaming service, not on Hulu TV, not on YouTube TV. Not on Sling, you know. People don't do cable anymore. I don't even know if they're on Directv anymore. I think they're like on AT and T or something like that. But they're just, and it's they're they're in this position, and it's their own fault. They're in this position because they didn't cut deals with the streaming services. That was the big thing you saw as they refused to work with Sling. They refused to work with Hulu. They refused to work with YouTube TV. They just would not cut these deals to make it work. And it's bad business practice. They wanted more money. Well should have taken what they were offering you and you might be in a better spot but i'd like the idea of the teams being able to control the broadcast um i think it's going to help fix the big blackout problems that you have you've had forever you know if your organization owns it you pay whatever it is and you get to watch your games right i think that's awesome i think that's going to be beneficial to the um to the fans so at the end of the day i think it's be beneficial to the fans because sinclair and bally i don't think has been putting their fans first. I just don't think it's been working out for them. And that's why, you know, that's why they're in where they are is because fans, they just don't like it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I 100% agree with you in your statement. Now, I, again, I don't like people losing their jobs. I really don't. But they've made some poor decisions. And that's basically why they're heading to bankruptcy in a Bloomberg report that I saw is because people are cutting cable. They're going to streaming. Yep. And Sinclair would not work with the streaming services to get their stuff on there. Yeah. So they if wouldn't. you don't follow along with the times, you're going to fall behind and Sinclair's falling behind. So, yes. And we're already seeing it where owners are now getting their broadcasting rights for the teams, Fenway Sports for Pittsburgh. They have their own broadcasting rights. Washington Capitals bought, I believe, the NBCS in Washington. So I think that's kind of going to be the future for these teams is getting their broadcasting rights so that they can uh, control more of their team. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. And Dundon can afford it. Oh, yeah, he can. And he's a very hands-on owner. So I really... I honestly would be surprised if he doesn't do it because of how hands-on he is. I agree. So, yeah, so the next piece of news that I want to talk about is that Don Waddell is actually interviewed by Pierre Lebron on The Athletic. Um, I'm sure you read some of that. I, I skimmed it, and it concerned me. It concerns me every time he says we're not going to make a deal to make a deal. Well, you kind of need to make a deal to make a deal because you just lost your best player, your best goal scorer, which is Pax Pacioretty. And you might think, oh, it's Ajo. Mm, Ajo's not a pure goal scorer. He could score goals, and that's fine. He has been recently, but Max Pacioretty is your purebred goal scorer, and you've out. You don't have him. And Paul Stasny and KK aren't your second line centers. I love Paul Stasny. I'm still a huge fan of Paul Stasny. I still like him a little bit more than KK right now, but KK's been playing good, so I'm fine with leaving everything in status quo. 
But, oh dear God, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Guess what Carolina has done the last couple of years? Not make a trade to make a trade or not make a trade to keep pace with the division. And guess what? It's gotten us second round exits. Second round exits. Okay. If you do the same thing again, you should get fired. It's, it's just that simple. You keep doing it over and over and over again, and it doesn't work out. Guess what? You're wrong. You're wrong. What did Carolina do when they won the Stanley Cup? They got rentals. They paid for them, and they won a cup. Grow up. Pay for it. Win a cup. Go all in. If you don't go all in now, you're, you're gonna, it's going to become harder and harder and harder to do it. I might disagree with your take. So basically my take is, I mean, that's a captain obvious statement, is we don't make a trade just to make a trade. Of course, every GM has that philosophy of we don't make a trade to make a trade because there's every purpose behind a trade and there should be. So I'm like, uh, duh, that's what you should be doing is you can't make a trade just to make a trade. Can't make a change just to make a change. You have to have a purpose, a reason why for every trade. So, so when I saw that, I was like, duh. And the other Part of like just us getting rentals. I mean, I'm fine with us getting rentals. I think Jonathan Taves, to to me, is a type of player that I could see us getting because of the low price tag. It's on it, and and I I mean I I a little bit appreciate it. I I think the biggest question every Kings fan is at, is asking for is how much of your future are you willing to sacrifice to win in the present. Because no matter what, you're sacrificing something. You're either sacrificing the opportunity, possibly increasing your chances to win the Stanley Cup, or sacrificing futures. And I think they need to sacrifice some futures. I'm with you, but I would not, I don't know if I would trade Seth Jarvis for Jonathan Taves. I don't know if I would do that. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is prioritizing. I think every Canes fan will agree that you need to prioritize Seth Jarvis over Jack Drury. Yeah, and I yeah. mean I think if you can make a deal that involves some of even your roster players, like I'm I'm willing to move Jarvis if that means you bring in Bo Horvat and you extend him, right? And I think if you bring in Timo Meyer and you extend him. Because I, I just I think right now if if that's how that is, I think Bo Horvat's better for the future, I think. I mean I think he's better for the present and the future. I think that Timo Meyer is better for the present and the future, right? So if you make those kind of moves that bring in a player, I think Dylan Larkin is better for the present and the future because Larkin's not that old either. So you bring in a player like bring in one of these players that can benefit you now and in the future. I mean, yeah, Jarvis is young. He's a good player. He's having a very bad season. He is not playing very well at all. But they call it sophomore slumps for a reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I also think if you can turn, you know, flip these players into a team of Meyer who is now amazing and will be amazing probably for the next five plus years i don't think that's a problem i'm concerned carolina is gonna and i'm not necessarily advocating you trade seth jarvis i'm saying i'm not gonna go throw in my you know burning my jerseys if we trade seth jarvis i i want to win a cup right so i don't want us to turn into the washington capitals that's my fear they won one stanley cup with having ovechkin for however many odd years they've had them 15 16 17 18 years i don't know they won one Stanley Cup, and they consistently make the playoffs. They consistently got knocked out in the first round. It's coach after coach, GM, GM, right? It's you, you just, 
there was just never this ability to find the piece. I don't want Carolina to be a consistent playoff team, but never get out of the first or second round. That's not enough. That's not what I don't. I don't believe Tom Dundon necessarily wants that either. But I don't know if we're able to make. It. <laughs> you need to be willing to sacrifice to a degree, right? Exactly, but you don't want to sacrifice too much to where it might affect you years down the road and possibly go through another rebuild. Ten-year yeah. rebuild or dark ages, as I like oh, to call it. Oh, for sure. Them. But if you can move a first-round draft pick that you have this year, that's a hot commodity for sure. It's a deep draft. You're still going to have with between the 28th probably and the 30th, 32nd pick, right? You're, you're going to be somewhere in that low end. Move the pick. If that's what San Jose wants to get Timo Meyer, move the pick. I agree with you. If that's what Detroit wants to move Dylan Larkin, move the pick. If that's what Vancouver wants... To get Bo Horvat, move the pick. Now, from my understanding, Vancouver is asking way too much for Bo Horvat. I'm not willing to give up Marty Natchez for Bo Horvat. That is ridiculous. And that is what I heard was the asking price. And I'm like, you are insane. Not only did you treat your coach like, pardon my French, horse shit, because that's what he did. They, they treated him like crap. Now you're asking for the most ridiculous. <laughs> Look, Bo Horvat's a good player. But in my opinion, Horvat and Natchez are about even right now in how they produce and how they play. I think Natchez has been better than Horvat, to be honest. Especially recently. So I'm like, are you on crack? Because I'm not going to trade Marty Natchez for Bo Horvat. But if you're willing to make a deal for some prospects and maybe Seth Jarvis, okay, well, then we can have the conversation because Horvat has been better than Seth Jarvis. And that fits the need of that second line center, right? Because you can add that second line center and then you can pop someone else up on that first line with um, with with Ajo and Teravainen. You can move Svech up there. So, you know, you, 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 you can do things that I think would, would fill that void. Horvat replaces, he adds a lot more offense. But of course, there are no on, there are untouchables on this team, right? Especially this year, Aho's untouchable, Slavin's untouchable, Pesci's untouchable, Burns you just acquired him. You have to think he's untouchable. Um, Stahl's untouchable. Yeah, Stahl's never going to play for Martinook. No one. I don't think anyone wants the contract for Martinook. But yeah, Martinook's had an amazing season. You have to think that your leadership core isn't going anywhere. Makes sense. But I think there are some dark horses to be moved. I think Teravainen is one. I don't know if he I don't know if he re-ups with us when his contract is up. So if you can turn Teravainen into Timo Meyer, I think that makes sense too. Right? I think it's this the idea of what are you willing to do to upgrade. And yes, a, a Teravainen for Timo Meyer is an upgrade in that position because I think Teravainen's had an okay season. He's not been great. I think he's definitely this is definitely his worst season in probably the last five years for sure. Um, is that an upgrade? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I'm not saying you do it. If you can get away with not moving a player like that, I think that's ideal because you want to improve greatly, not improve marginally. And I think trading Teravinen is a marginal improvement, not a, not a, like a stout improvement, but I think moving Jarvis for like a Timo Maro, Timo Meyer or Bo Horvat kind of a player. I think that's a, that's a ex, ex, extensive improvement. So you have to take a look at your roster players who you're willing to move. I think moving Paul Stasny, as much as I love him, if you can move him along with like a third or a second round pick and bring in Jonathan Taves, I think that's good too. That gets you a little bit of cap 
leverage and maybe Chicago can bring you know, retain, go out and get your winger that you need to a defenseman. I really like the idea of Joel Edmondson, but he's hurt now. So I don't know what that looks like. I heard Goss spare was someone that was getting looking to move, but now he's hurt too. So it's like, okay, who's left? Jacob Chikrin's really expensive. So it's like, okay, does that make sense for Carolina? I've heard Carolina's not as high on him as I am. It's really just a matter of what do you do? Tarasenko, Carolina's been linked to him for about as long as I can remember. That cap works too. I just think there's a lot of targets for Carolina to get if they do nothing. That, to me, tells the fan base and tells the team, we don't care about winning a cup. We care about making money off of you. You're going to keep coming as long as we win and get to the playoffs. And at that point, that to me tells me this group and this management just wants to get to the playoffs and they don't want to win a cup. Got to make a move at the deadline, have to do something. I'm not saying you sell everybody on the team. I think that's stupid. You make a deal. You, and, and you I, prioritize, I, basically. And I probably said it wrong when I said you make a move to make a move. That's, that's not what I mean, is you need to make a move to get better. So you have to do something at this deadline. And I would like to think that management has learned after the past two years, Adam Gold said it too, you've done marginal, you've done basically nothing. Max Domi didn't do you anything. Maybe it helped you win the Boston series. Good for you, got out of the first round. That's what you've been doing anyway. Yanni Hockenpah for, what was it, Hayden Flurry or whatever. I don't and we, I, there was a draft pick involved with that too. I can't remember which draft pick Bill, that there was. That was marginal. So it's you, you doing these moves that don't really do anything. You're like, oh, we're happy with our group. Okay. What did Colorado do last year? They acquired a couple rentals and they, and they actually resigned a couple yeah, of them. Arteri Lekkonen was one of those uh, deals from Montreal. What and he's Tampa, been doing amazing. What did Tampa do last year to get to the Stanley Cup finals? Oh, yeah, they've traded a few first-round picks. So it's these teams, and you're seeing this consistency, right? These players that are willing to make these moves are the play, are the, these teams that are willing to make these moves are the teams that are extremely successful in the postseason. Yeah. Because, say, if New York goes out and they just eke in, the Rangers, they eke in, but they got Patrick Kane at the deadline, oh, dear Lord, that team scares the crap out of me. What if Boston gets Patrick Kane? Oh my goodness, that team's already good as it is, and that's the team you got to get through to get to the Stanley Cup Finals. Because right now, I fully believe that Carolina is the best team in the Metropolitan Division. I truly think, even as is, they get through the first two rounds. I don't think there's another Metro team better than Carolina right now. I don't. I don't think it's New Jersey. I don't think it's New York. I don't think it's Washington. I don't think it's Pittsburgh. Carolina's manhandled Pittsburgh. We are better than Washington. We are faster than Washington. New York Islanders, is the team. The New York Rangers is a team that I'm mostly yeah, concerned with right the now. The Islanders are trash. They just are. They are not good. And then you have the Devils. I think they're fine. I think they're good, but they're really, really, really young and inexperienced. So I think they might struggle in the playoffs. They just don't have that experience yet. And then you have the Rangers. They're a good team, but they're not playing good this year. Shesterkin has fallen off, kind of what I thought would happen. I, I just, I, I kind of had that feeling. He's only ever had one good year, and now he's kind of icky. He's not awful, but he's not the best. He's not what you would expect. Not what you expected. Well, he set such a high standard last year that you knew he probably wasn't going to replicate. But he's still, I think, been doing pretty good overall uh, for the Rangers. But if you can imagine New York getting Patrick Kane and Carolina doing nothing, it's like okay. You have to keep pace. 
So you really shouldn't react. You should be proactive. You know that these teams around you are going to get better. Well, then you should be on Patrick Kane. Exactly. Oh, well, then you should be on Jonathan Taves. You should be on Tarasenko, Meyer, Horvat. You shouldn't be letting all these teams pick up these players, and then you just sit in there twiddling your thumbs like, oh, we're fine. Well, they don't have the cap to hide behind anymore because they now have $10 million in cap space, which I think could solve all their issues. Yeah, and I think that's... Second-line center and a depth defenseman, because Coughlin just doesn't And, I mean, at the end of the day, if you choose not to go with the center, I think as long as you upgrade your your top six, you're okay. Because I think you can mask that. I mean, if you put a Pacioretty kind of like player, or Tarasenko kind of like player, Meyer, on that second line, even with Stasny or KK, I think that's going to kind of mask the problems you might have because natures can slide into that center role and take face-offs so you know you can have like that hybrid natures kk like center ish where they like take turns in that center spot and that and that and that line that line so if you have like the kk natures and then say you throw tarasenko on that line or whoever you put on that line i think you'll be okay but i think you need an upgrade in your top six i agree i would prefer to upgrade the center spot i think bull horvat is a good is a good player and it sounds like Carolina's they're asking too much though and i think carolina is willing to have a conversation but vancouver is not willing to let the team talk to his representatives to get an extension yeah which is what carolina wants and why team meyer is a little bit more palatable to them because if they make a vancouver an offer that vancouver is like okay we're kind of in the right direction I'm sorry, San Jose. San Jose is going to let you talk to Meyer about an extension. So players that are willing to extend are players Carolina is interested in. Like I said before, I think if they trade for Tarasenko, they do extend him. I just I think there's that mutual attraction there. The player I'm watching the most is Tarasenko. I like. I think there's a. I think there's a match there. Yeah, maybe. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, the next piece of news uh, that we have is Kings have officially finally revealed. They're stadium series jerseys, and there was a lot of mixed reaction. I like the jersey. Uh, I could do. I think they could have done better, absolutely. But I like it because of the color scheme. I mean, it's fine. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. Will I get one? Probably. Um, what's my problem with it? We knew about it for the last two years, and the reaction was mixed, or probably, probably, maybe a little bit hedged on more negative than positive. So you had two years to change it and update it and upgrade it, and you didn't. To me, it's kind of like, okay, why? But I think Carolina hasn't really been nailing the the jerseys lately anyway, so you have the lazy, I mean, just pure lazy retro jersey. Just, good God, how lazy can your department be? And then you have... And then you have the stadium jersey, which I think is better than the retro. Oh, I do, too. Um, And I think it's fine. NC State wore a similar color scheme, and they looked good on the field. So I'll have to see what it looks like on on the ice. I could change my mind, right? So I like it more than, again, I like it more than the retro. I just don't think jerseys have been an area where Carolina has been knocking it out of the park since they created their alternate, which is now their new home. And honestly, the alternate for this year is my favorite jersey they wear because that's their old jersey, and I love their old jersey. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, I mean, not every team's perfect if you think. Uh, no, not for, not at all. 
And you know what? At the end of the day, it is what it is. I'm just, I'm excited that I get to be a part of that day, as do a lot of the fans get to go, get to enjoy. And that's the most important thing is the experience of being at an outdoor game. Yeah, you and I plan to take part of a lot of the festivities that weekend. We're going to go to uh, that fan fest on in Raleigh on Friday, the day before. Yes, we're definitely um, doing that. We have that Thursday. We got the Cam Ward game uh, when the, he gets inducted into the Hurricanes Hall of Fame. That's Thursday. Fan fest is Friday. The outdoor game is Saturday. We're definitely doing those things. I don't know about the alumni game, though. I'm going to try and try and get to the alumni game. It's free. It's another outdoor game. They're playing it outdoors. That's going to be exciting. You got Rob Brendamore, Chad LaRose, Tim Brandt, Bates Pataglia, I think, was on there, too. Um, uh, uh, Rob Brendamore. Kind of good gracious how did i forget rob brendamore <laughs> rob brendamore's playing you know you just got a lot of uh older hurricanes that are gonna come back and play which is pretty cool so i'm looking forward to that um i would hopefully i'm hoping to go um wish they would make it at a better time but it's gonna be exciting you know and just kind of as other options nc state is gonna play i believe unc and hockey on that field that weekend there's a lot of ways if you can't get to the outdoor game itself there are other outdoor hockey events that are happening on that on that um ice that weekend try and take in that action if you have a chance definitely do it i think you definitely i think i think you'll have fun it'll be a good experience if you can't get to the outdoor game because yes it's expensive i mean it is it is really expensive i've looked now they released some more tickets actually so if you're okay with paying the 300 plus there are tickets available. Oof, that is expensive. There are tickets available on Ticketmaster that I saw a couple days ago. Of course, it could have changed, but there's a lot. There are resale tickets, but uh, the game will be sold out. That makes me happy with the amount I paid for for the tickets. Yeah, what was it like one twenty or something? Yeah, like it was that? something like that. I don't care where we sit. No, I'm just happy either. I'm at the game. Okay, uh, next piece of news. This is more of a great accomplishment. Uh, for one of our players, is that Sebastian Aho this past week has hit 200 goals of his career. I am very, very happy for him, and he just keeps um, ranking up the points. And if we do sign him long term after the end of his contract, I could definitely see him being one of the top point producers for this Hurricanes team. That's the only thing that makes me nervous is Carolina doesn't have a good track record when signing UFAs because unfortunately... If the, if the cap a, goes up, they have to do raises. They, yeah, they have yeah. to. And Ajo has earned a raise, for sure. He's earned a raise. Yes, he has. Um, but you'll see, right? I mean, we'll see what happens with Ajo. Um, I don't think the management endeared themselves to him with the Montreal situation. Um, but you never know. Definitely. Um, so we've also had some things that have gone around the league that have also affected the hurricanes to a degree. I don't think it was as bad as what happened in Philadelphia with Ivan Provorov, uh, backlash, but I just want to talk about that. We didn't tweet about it because I think Twitter is the wrong place for this discussion. It's the wrong place to say anything because if you agree with, for example, the players and the Hurricanes organization will stick to that, who didn't wear the pride tape, well, then you're evil and you hate the um, the LGBTQ plus community. And I think that's wrong. First off, that is the wrong opinion to have. And then if you do wear the tape, then you are 
on the right and you are a good person. So it's, you're evil if you don't, you're good if you do, I think is the wrong take to have. Um, I believe that if you choose not to, that is the player's choice. And I think the New York Rangers really said it best when saying they support their players, their community, and and how you choose to believe as long as you choose to be accepting and loving to everybody is okay. Just because you choose not to celebrate something or choose not to do something doesn't make you a bad person. I don't think Ivan Provorov for the Flyers is evil or hateful. I don't I don't I didn't see that from him. I didn't see that in his comments. And I don't and if you believe that Jordan Stahl is that way, I'm sorry, I can't help you. He's a good man. He's a good guy. If you believe that Chatfield is that way, I can't help you. I really cannot. I don't believe there was hate in their hearts. And if that's what you believe, I think you need to look in the mirror. We believe here in our podcast that hockey is for everybody. It doesn't matter your faith. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your sexual preference. If you want to go watch a hockey game, go watch a hockey game. If you want to play hockey, go play hockey. That's what we believe. And that's what these players believe. It really is. I don't think you're going to find some malicious intent behind air, behind stall not wearing pride tape come on grow up that's just not true he's a good guy i've i've talked to him before i've met some of these guys they're good people um it's not how you should look at these players because they choose not to do something um and i don't believe that do i believe some of it's a stereotype on how the church has treated the community absolutely because there are a lot of churches that have done that and that's unfortunate but I believe, and I truly believe, that at the end of the day, if you are, and let's just say, if you are a person of faith, you're taught to love other people. And I think that is how it is, right? You're taught to, to love everybody. Doesn't mean you have to agree with the choices they make. I don't agree with you, Sam, on everything that you do. You don't agree with me. And that's just part of the world that we live in. At the end of the day, like we said before, hockey is for everybody. Everyone should play the sport. Everybody is welcome. We love all of our listeners. To us, it doesn't matter what they believe, right? As long as they're good, as long as they are good people, and they want to to enjoy the game of hockey. That's why we did this podcast. We want people to enjoy hockey and understand it a little bit more. That's why we're a little bit more technical than other ones. Is we understand the sport. I've played it myself. I understand the sport. We want to reach to everybody. At the end of the day, we really hope that there is no malicious thoughts on these players. Because there's not, especially, and this is what upset me the most, is I'm a huge fan of George Stahl. Of course, I'll call him Stonehand Stahl and all that other stuff, but I love Stahl. I don't want to see, I don't like to see these negative comments levied against our captain. I just, I don't think they're valid. But again, at the end of the day, hockey is for everyone. We fully believe that does not matter what you believe. Please enjoy the game. Listen to our podcast. Watch the hockey games. Please go to Hurricanes games. They want you to go too. They, they're a great team. They're a great organization. And these players are good good players, for sure. But that's all we're going to say on that. We just wanted to address it actually out of the mouths, not on Twitter, because that is the wrong place to have discussions like this. It really is. I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing, though. And this is just coming from my belief. So that I am called to love everybody, regardless of their beliefs or not so that's my stance agreed all right now let's get to the Kane games yes let's talk about the games yes so Kane's at dallas uh this was to me um a playoff atmosphere game 
you had speed. This is probably one of the most entertaining games I have seen. You had speed. You had a lot of grit. It was purely entertaining to the public eye. And in the first period, uh, you have Sebastian Ajo scoring from Pesci on a great, great shorthanded goal as Dallas kind of turned the puck over and he was able to get the loose puck and just use the speed of the game, which was really ramped up in this game. It really was. He was able to use that speed to get around one of the Dallas defensemen, whose name I have forgotten, but gets it in probably five hole. Could could have been (laughs) hockey ball. Because he's not that good of a skater. He just isn't. But uh, he was able to get in five hole against Jake Ottinger. And we know Ottinger. He is a very good goalie. I still think he's a great goalie. But... That was just a very, very good goal. And yeah. in fact, since that was a shorthanded goal, he is now tied with Eric Stahl with 16 shorthanded goals. I think he's going to be leading the team. Yeah, I think he's going to end up taking the franchise record for sure. And I mean, I've heard some people say that Dallas could be a dark horse to get out of the West to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. They're just a very good team. Oh, they are. They they have everything. They have the veterans like Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn who are having re, a reinsurgence. Yeah, because they hadn't been playing well. And they've been called out multiple times by management and coaching staff. And now they're they're playing really good. I think it's their coach's Rick Bonus. Yeah, it, it, it's Rick Bonus, I believe. But you also have Young Guns, too, and Jason Robertson. Yep. Wyatt Johnson, who actually scored during that game. Rope Hints. And on the back end, you have such a great defense with Issa Lindell. Yeah, Miro Heskinen. Miro he- Heskinen. And then, obviously, you have your goalie that you can ride on, I believe, in Drake Onder. Dallas is a very good team. and. I mean, you're up one to nothing until Dallas kind of is able to leak through um, Anderson with uh, Wyatt Johnson scoring. Uh, Now, it's another play that Cog, if you remember that goal, uh, Coggin was not able to get the puck out as Johnson kind of just hit it through. Anderson. Now, I t- should have should Anderson should have gotten that save. I think there's an argument to be made there, but Coughlin needs to hit that out because because I do think that you just enabled a high danger chance on your goalie and you can't allow that. Yeah, it is what it is too. And I mean, Dallas is good. They're going to take advantage of it. Exactly, and they did. And the next goal, it's Jason Robertson scoring. And this goal was really weird because Anderson kind of helped made a huge save where the puck was like on the crossbar. He kicks it out, and I didn't even see the shot, shot honestly, but it was Jason Robertson who was able to sneak it by behind Anderson because he was right... He was I basically horizontal with the goal, and he was able to bat it in. And that that goal is on Anderson. It really is, and it's and it was frustrating to see that uh, goal go in. But I think what made us more um, concerned was that Anderson 
he left the game after that first period. Now, uh, before, I did see him getting hit with one of our players. So, I, I think that might have been what it was, but Anderson, he left the first period, and he didn't come back for the rest of the game, which had us really concerned, because we were like, we cannot go through this again. Yeah, no, you don't want to lose Anderson again. Cannot, no. cannot, cannot, and I think if he goes down again, I think that spells the end of his time in Carolina. Yeah, it very well could be. And so, Ronta comes into the second, and Ronta... I was honestly a little bit shocked with his performance because we know that he's probably the weaker of the, the three. three goalies. Yeah. Because Kachekov, he's had enough time up here in Carolina to where I classify him as a goalie for Carolina. But he came in and he played fantastic yeah. during this Dallas game. He was on point and in the second period. Uh, Carolina was able to tie it with a blast from Burns from Martinuk and Stahl, as Stahl actually wins the faceoff. And I believe Martinuk does, yeah, Martinuk does pass it to Burns, and Burns just rips it. And that's what he's known for. Burns is known for his shooting ability, and he's able to tie it. Now, another major factor in that second period, Sam, uh, we know that trip got really riled up on this was uh the missed instigator penalty yeah uh that was really frustrating to see and i mean head scratching everybody that was really head scratching i i mean you and i we we watched that game together we saw we saw brendan moore and even the players just like be like, "Are you serious? He's not getting instigator because because Carolina would get one every single time. It's just fact. <laughs> every time Carolina's done that, I think they've always gotten that instigator. They've always gotten that extra two. I know. And the pl- the player that came up to Brett Pesci, it was um Luke Luke Glendening. Yeah, that came up. Now both of them went to the box five for fighting, which is the name of a band I really like. But the fact that Luke Glendening came up and just started punching Pesci before he even took the gloves off, and that Glendening is an said, instigator. And Glendening said he didn't even see the hit. Exactly. So it's like okay, so it, it's it's a it's a completely missed call. And this is why it's, you know, you kind of wish you had that ability for the replay. Well, I mean, I, I saw all the refs huddle. They, they, they were talking about that, and they did. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. If you huddle and you think about it and you still don't make the call, that is foolish. Yeah. They if you miss it the first time, okay. But if you review it, you discuss it, and you still don't think that that's an instigator, then that's not them doing their job right no, there. Not at all. That's a bad call. Bad call. And, and 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 honestly, like when I try to get new fans into the sport of hockey, one of the most major complaints is the officiating. It is hurting the yeah. hockey. I think the officials should be made to market. answer questions from the media after games. Very least they should they should have to answer questions from the media. Maybe, like but that's but that's staff. part of the reason why a lot of these 
people who are trying to get to hockey can't get into it because of the inconsistency of the officiating. Now, it's not solely because of that. Other Others complain that they can't really see the puck that well. They don't know what they're doing because it's so fast. But that that is that has been a complaint, and it, it's really frustrating that, that that is a complaint because officiating can be better. Again, officiating is going to make mistakes, but calls like that is why people are angry, up in arms, and they're they're obvious too. It's not like there's a lot of ambiguity in them. Yeah, for sure. So that that's just frustrating. And that's just my take, but. Well, we go into the third period. And it's a snooze fest. It's a snooze fest. Nothing really happens. But I will admit, I thought the third period kind of amped up, especially after that whole uh, fighting thing. The physicality really amped up, both on our side and Dallas. And I thought we were actually angry. I like it when we get angry, Yeah, to be honest. I want Stahl to hit someone. (laughs) No, I do too. But we were... We were getting to be physical with Dallas because Dallas was being physical with us the first part of that game. And then in overtime, because we all love the overtimes, mm-hmm. Natchez scores from Pesci. Such, such a great goal. Um, I believe, I was a little surprised Andre didn't save it because I thought he had a good vision on Natchez, but Natchez just used his a pretty good shooting ability that yeah. he has. He was able to get it up, I think, right under the crossbar, and he scores. And that and, and, and that's what Caroline needs to do, because it's a possession game. Yep. Cycle, cycle, cycle the puck, get them tired. And that's kind of what they did, because it was Tyler Sagan who's been out there the entire time, and he could not keep up, and that, I think, contributed to why Natchez scored, because Sagan was out there for, like, a cup, I believe, at least a minute. Yeah. For sure. So I think that was a good way to end that game. I like Nate just getting a goal from Pesci. I mean, that's kind of leads into why, you know, Mr. Overtime strikes again, right? And I think that might be his nickname going forward for Nate just Mr. Overtime. So, right, your your nickname picks you, not the other way around. So, Mr. Overtime. I've seen it on Twitter, so I think that's fair. I might make that the title. Yeah, I think that should be, uh, I think that should be uh, his nickname. I, I I'm all for it, so. Yeah, I am too. So, a uh, great, great win. Again, I thought that was um, clearly a playoff type of game. You had everything. And then you have the Sharks game. <laughs> I did not th- I th- did not think Carolina played that well during San Jose. No. But I came out of that game thinking, I think that is going to be a game of the year candidate. And that might be an episode that we might do, Sam. Um, at the end of the year, possibly, we can talk about our favorite games. Yeah. Possibly. That might be fun. But, boy, the end of this game was just wild. Now, the first two periods, it was pretty subdued. And credit to San Jose, as they were actually able to ward off the Hurricanes' offense. Now, I don't think Carolina played that well, but I also think San Jose did pretty decently defending through most of the game. Uh, first period, you have Limbaum's uh, scoring for San Jose. It's one to nothing, and I kind of expected San Jose to score first. By the way, her games are playing; they did not have a lot of shots on goal. In fact, during 
uh, a good portion of the first period, Carolina only had two shots, actually. San Jose was actually doing pretty decently compared to Carolina, and it showed with Lindblom scoring. But then you get a shot from Coughlin that Reimer uh, was able to save, but was but gave up a very juicy rebound. It goes to DeHaan, and DeHaan scores and goes right through Reimer. Reimer should have had that. And I have a soft spot for Reimer because he was <laughs> an ex-Hurricane. Yeah. And, in fact, we did do a standing ovation for Stephen Lawrence. Yep. He played. I liked him, too. But uh, Canes were able to get out of the first period tied 1-1. to and if you can get out of the first period at home at least tied, I think you're I think you can yeah. potentially just win the game in the next forty minutes. But second period there was hardly nothing. I thought Carolina had a hard a hard time really getting behind San Jose's defense. And I know and their defense I think is decent. I mean, obviously, Eric Carlson is the highlight on that defense. But I also think other defensemen like Mario Ferraro and a couple of defensemen that I'm struggling to remember. Um, I think Benning is another def- decent defenseman. But they they were they did really good at collapsing near their goalie, which Carolina can have a problem with. If the other team collapsed near their or crashes the net near the goalie. Carolina does have a problem uh, sometimes with trying to get goals like that. But in a third period, that was when almost all the madness, all the goals happened. You had Ajo scoring from Nason, which was a great tip from Ajo, as uh, Nason was kind of putting it on Ajo, but also making it on the trajectory on Reimer. Aho tips it and it goes kind of, I believe it goes five hole. Yeah. On Reimer. So we t- tie it, but then Carolina uh, takes a penalty. I can't remember what that penalty was on, who was on, but that was that time kind of started a downturn for Carolina. I believe, oh yeah, it was Brady Shea tripping against uh, Timo Meyer. And you have Nick Bonino scoring along. Well, okay. So first is actually Nick Bonino scoring. Um, I believe that's something Ronta should have had, and Ronta did start this game. Yeah, that was a. Uh, he was right up near, basically Ronta. Ronta, I thought was too deep in his net on the Nick Bonino goal. Now the Izzy goal that was actually. After that power, that power play that they had, and I agree with what Tripp says, a power play is not officially over until the play is dead. Yep. Yeah, anyway. that's what happened. And you and I couldn't we, clear it. Yeah, we couldn't clear it. They kept circling, and then they scored. And if you fail to clear it, you're gonna get you're gonna get stung for it. And that's what happened. Yeah, and and when we got out of the box, we actually had three defensemen. On the ice because it was Brady Shea coming back, so three defensemen. You have that's no excuse a little, to not get the puck out. Yeah, it, it, it's a little weird, definitely. But I mean, three defensemen. I mean, come on. So, 
San Jose, they are now up three to two, and we. And honestly, after that, I thought Carolina really tried. After it was three, it was kind of like a wake up call yep. for the Hurricanes, and it eventually got to the point where it was getting near the game. They okay, Sam. They if only the viewers had video footage of us when we would do the podcast. Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, and we tried. We really tried to get a goal, but it is Mario Ferraro. Scoring on the empty net. That was a pretty long shot. I was impressed, actually, to score on the empty net. And, Sam, this was your idea, not mine. <laughs> um, only three times in NHL, two before this night, in NHL history has a team come back to win a game after allowing an empty net goal. And we were not the only ones. We started to make our way to the exits. Um. We stayed in the arena, though, and we kind of watched a little bit of it from the top, and we scored. And just so you know, we were sitting close to the ice this time, so if you're close to the ice getting out, it's almost impossible after a game when everyone starts to leave. So we moved, made our way to the top um, of the lower bowl to just, and they scored, and we kind of watched from up there with everybody else. Who, yeah, we were with the camera crew people, because yeah. you know they have their camera stations up there. And everybody else who kind of started to mimosy on their way closer to the exits. And I wouldn't really say everyone really left. They kind of hovered at the top of the bowl. They they really did. Nobody <laughs> left after Ajo scored um, with a minute and 50-something seconds left in the game. They got up out of their seats because they were like, I don't know, Carolina can come back. But... I didn't see a lot of people leaving after that Ajo. No, and I don't think anyone really left after the empty net goal. They just kind of stood there, maybe a few, but they kind of just stood at the top of the bowl or kind of at the entrance, you know, but they they kind of, they watched. Um, And then somehow, miraculously, you get a goal from Natchez to tie it with seconds left in the game. And it's like, oh my goodness gracious, this is insane. Um, And it's a shock, right? You're just you're you're dumbfounded because this just doesn't happen. Doesn't matter who the team is, it just doesn't happen. Um you got nature scoring, I think it's with like eleven and change left, seconds left. Twelve seconds left. Twelve seconds left. Ties it. And we all are we all are freaking out. Yeah, everyone's going crazy, everyone's hugging, everyone's screaming, hollering, going crazy. Heck, at the end of this game I um did a you saw yeah, a chest bump with another Canes fan. Yeah, which was which was awesome. And then we went it in overtime. And I think that's like what? It wasn't even a minute into overtime, I think. And then Natchez scores. So again, so he gets two in about a minute. One to end the period, one to end the game. That's why he should be named Mr. Overtime. And I want to say one thing about the Sharks game because I was I, I saw this and I was surprised. Carolina has been known as a team for years that just doesn't, no one cares, right? We're that poverty franchise. No one goes to our games. Well, I want to talk about the the attendance that night. Sold out game. Awesome. These are the other games that were in action that night. Dallas at home. Rangers at home. Islanders at home. Kraken at home. Toronto at home. Canucks at home. Florida at home. The number one team that night with the most fans in attendance was the Carolina Hurricanes. 18,780 fans. They had more than Vancouver. 
They had more than Toronto, more than New York. These are teams that you were like, oh, they probably would have more. No, we also had the highest percentage capacity at 100.5%. So we had some people in standing room seats. Carolina had the highest attendance. This is a legit hockey market now. Legit hockey market. And that's just awesome to see. And I expect today, because we're we're gonna get we're gonna be recording now. We're gonna go watch the Bruins game. We're watching it on TV today. And we're gonna see another sold out ground, right? Because our tickets aren't not going to waste. We have a friend of mine who I work with gave tickets to him. He's going today. Unfortunately, he's a Bruins fan. I apologize, but you know what? He's from Massachusetts. Oh my god. He is from Massachusetts. I respect it. I expect another sold out. It is sold out. Yeah, I, I do think it is sold out. Where we stand again at attendance compared to other teams because we're consistently in the top. I know we are. Um, you guys listening to us because you're a Canes fan as well. Uh, we, we thank you guys for going to these games and help being a part of a sold out crowd at PNC Arena. Enjoy the game. We'll come back and talk about it in just a minute. So that Boston game, that was a very, very great game. I actually thought the first period, I thought that was actually Carolina's best period throughout the game because they, and I think it showed on the shots too, they had like 18 shots in that first period. They were dominant. Yeah, Carolina was just, I mean, they were on fire. Ajo's been on fire. They just, Ajo cannot seem to do anything wrong right now, which is, I'll take it. Oh, I, I will too, and and I I think I've said this before on previous episodes that when Aho is on his game, I do think he is a top ten player in the NHL. And other teams, you better watch out because yeah. Aho's hot. Yeah, he's scoring. He can't seem not score. He finally missed a breakaway, but he scored on one too, so he won fifty percent on the breakaways. But it's okay. I, I don't expect perfection. Um, especially against a team like Boston, who has been almost perfect this entire season. And I mean, you shut down their top two lines. They they got pretty much nothing. I think they they like the second line was responsible for the only goal. The Krejci line got that. Um, but other than that, when Boston really was struggling, they create they recreated the perfection line and shut and they shut it down. They really didn't have anything. Maybe a couple of looks on the power play, but I mean, Boston just they were suffocated tonight. Yeah, they were. And I mean, in the first period, like what you said, Aho scores. He's red hot. Great. Uh, it was great because there's a little bit of a scramble up near the blue line in our zone and Aho was able to uh, use that to his advantage and use his speed to his advantage and he was able to uh, score on Olmark which was a very great goal and then heading into the second period it's one to nothing and Carolina I thought they played great in the second period too I actually thought Boston I mean you could tell Boston was definitely pushing in this game, I thought they pushed toward the end of the second period, and I thought the third period, Boston, uh, especially late, I would say the last 10 minutes in the third period, Boston really uh, was pushing hard. But in the second period, you get a power play goal from Paul Stas, Paul Stasny, as it was kind of a missed shot yeah. wide from Natchez. 
but Stasny was able to get the rebound. There was no chance for Olmark because he pulled himself himself out way out of position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it was um, it was just it was a uh, it was impressive the the body of work in general Carolina did in this game. Definitely. So we go into the uh, third period, two nothing. Canes are just dominant. And another thing too, I want to talk about uh, the penalty kill. They were perfect tonight, six for six. If it if their penalty kill was not this good, then they would have lost this game. Yeah, I mean Boston's got one of the best power. They're number they're fourth in the league on the power play. Um, it's a team that should score, but Carolina's penalty kill since probably the first after you. The first third of the season is really when Carol. After that, Carolina's penalty kills really turned, gone back to what we're used to. Exactly, and, and that's what this team's identity is. They play a defensive type of game, even though you have tons of speed and tons of skill up front. And they did this without Jacob Slavin. I know, and we all, th- and you know, we actually thought um, uh, twenty four hours ago. That Slavin was going to be on the ice. No, yeah, it sounded like he was going to play, but it ended up not being the case. And Carolina suffocated Boston without their best defenseman. But Jalen Chatfield has really, really, really impressed. Oh, he has. He, I thought he was one of the best players out there, along with Brent Burns. I thought Brent Burns was playing an excellent game too. Yeah. No, I mean, really, there there really wasn't anyone. I was like, oh, tonight, you know, they just really didn't have. No one really had an awful game. Maybe they didn't have like a noticeable game, but they didn't have a bad game. Carolina played very good up and down the lineup. Yes. And another player, I, I mean, I know that he's been on a huge goalless drought, but I I actually thought Svetch played a pretty good noticeable game yeah. uh, today, al- along with Netris. It's just, um, and, and, and KK, again, like what you said, he hasn't been terrible this game, but... Uh, you can definitely see why we might need a number two center. And we've already talked about that at the beginning of this episode, so we won't dive into that again. But uh, just a lot of good things, and I thought the stall line, again, very good. Uh, fourth line, I think they did their job. I I didn't think they were very noticeable, but I think they did their job. So yeah, I think everybody contributed. Got the, uh, shorthanded, uh, the captain got the shorthanded empty netter, too. So Yes, he did. And before we get to that, Seth Jarvis has a beautiful goal. Oh, yeah. Highlight he, reel. Oh, definitely highlight reel. He just uh, goes forehand back and just scores up top. Right below the crossbar. Excellent goal. He That was just masterful of him poking the puck away from... I can't remember the defenseman, but it was just masterful yeah. what he did there. No, yeah, it was good to see Jarvis get on the board, too, because he needed to score a goal. Yes, he did. Uh, very happy for him. Now, we got a little bit nervous with Taylor Hall scoring. Um, that was actually a redirection. Uh, it was Zaga that shot the puck, but it but there was a lot of a lot of a net front presence in front of Anderson and Hall was able to tip it. And usually when it comes to redirections, you can't really blame the goalie that much. Yeah, no, Anderson had a great game. Not about to blame him at all. No. And what was a little bit frustrating is a little bit of time leading to that goal. You had Ajo stick kind yeah. of being shot out, but I'm, it is what it is. Sorry if you guys heard that loud. 
Dang. Uh, okay, back to the game. Uh, Drone Stall, he eventually just seals it uh, with the uh, shorthanded goal. That was so funny, too, because Pasternak was trying his hardest, trying to get to, to the puck. But Stahl, he has such a big, big frame that he was just not allowing Pasternak to uh, get the puck, and he finds the empty net. Yeah, no, it's what you expect from from the captain. Yeah, just, and what's interesting? Shrugged him off. <laughs> exactly, and what's interesting is that you actually said um, that Boston shouldn't have pulled their goalie when they were on the power play. Yeah, you get the free, you have a free icing there, and it just didn't make sense to me at all. Um, but they did what they did. I wouldn't have pulled my goaltender until the two, until after the power play was over. Um, try and score. Because then, just you, I don't think Carolina would have attempted the empty netter there if, if, or attempted to go on like that. So, the right decision would have been to leave the goalie in. But um, it is what it is for them. That I'm fine with it. It worked out for Carolina. But yeah, um, it worked out. So a bad decision. I think a bad a bad choice there gave Carolina the the upper hand. Yes, definitely. And the game ends four to one. Just a great, great win. This is probably the most impressive win this past week. I thought San Jose was just more breathtaking, just the way that ended. But this was a master class type of game from Carolina. They played that defensive type of game so well. Didn't really give Boston they really gave Boston a hard time, especially just being on the penalty kill. Just excellent. Now, um, for this last segment, uh, I guess you could call it a form of the 25th anniversary segment, but uh, five days ago, from the day we're recording this, Brenda Moore, uh, what, or we acquired Brenda Moore, I believe it was like 20, 20, over 23 years ago, I believe, right? Yeah. Something wrong. It was close to that, in the 20s. Yes. So, um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to... Uh, tell you guys our best memories of the captain slash coach. Uh, do you want me to go first or you? I'll go first. Um, my favorite uh, was when he, so he was, had some choice words to say about the officiating and the NHL fined him. I think it was $25,000 and gave him a warning or something like that. So Tom Dundon stroked the check. And he stroked it for twenty five thousand and seventeen dollars. So he added the seventeen on for Rob Brindamore's number, and that was just—I loved that because it showed your owner was sticking up for the head coach. So that to me was like, you know, that's good. And I love the fact that Rod speaks his mind. So defending him when he speaks his mind—that uh, just shows that he's, you know, he's just a, that kind of guy. He's going to tell you what he thinks. Doesn't really care. And I love the fact that, you know, the organization stood up for him there. Yes, definitely. Um, my Probably one of my favorite memories, uh, him being a coach as well. Again, he was my favorite player when uh, I first got into the Hurricanes. It was the 2006 year, which I got into it. But it was the game against New Jersey where we finally made it into the playoffs for so long. And... I really, that was just a great moment of seeing his reaction when Mike Manis, 
I think it was Mike. Yeah, it was Mike Maniscalco that told him, "Hey, you're in. You're in the playoffs." And Brendan Moore had this huge smile. He had this huge relief you could tell on his face because he was so happy that he finally got in. And that's kind of Brendan Moore's philosophy, and I kind of agree with him. All you have to do is get in the playoffs. Yep. And yep. anything can happen. And that's just, to me, just a really great moment because it shows that he cares so much about this team. And and it's not just that moment that he cares about the team. There, are just, I think almost every game you can just see just how passionate he is about this team. And it goes a long way uh, to, I think, uh, his loyalty, too. Uh, I mean, th- are we going to agree with every move that he makes as a head coach? No. But a lot of them resonate with him being passionate. And I yeah. think that passion transcends to loyalty. Absolutely. For these players. So uh, we hope uh, you guys have a great week. Remember, if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment as, I, as that helps us out a ton. We will see you guys next week. No, we won't see you next week. We'll oh, that's right. Week I was, that's right. It's the week after. My bad. We'll see you the week after. I'm, I'm so used to <laughs> saying that at the end of the episode. Uh, enjoy the games. Enjoy the All-Star break, as we will. Um, and uh, we got two before the All-Star break, and then it's break time for the team. Yes, so we'll see you guys in a couple weeks.